Welcome to the Immigration Hour. It's great to be back with you again this week. This is your host, Charles Cook, here from Cook Baxter Immigration. Uh, we've had a lot of downloads recently of our uh, podcast, uh, uh, the Immigration Hour, particularly as we focused on Senate Bill 386. I'm not going to rehash uh, the things that we've talked about in those bills, but uh, just to be clear, there is uh, a large movement uh, of immigration lawyers who are upset um, that the bill never had a hearing, uh, that in fact that there uh, that there uh, is a real detriments that come with this bill, that uh, many of our clients and our friends uh, uh, outside of India will be negatively affected for the next decade. Uh, and uh, it's interesting how you get attacked for pointing out the obvious. Uh, today, uh, saw a tweet that a group called Im- Immigrant Voice, I must be talking for only a single immigrant, uh, or group of immigrants, said that, uh, the, that the per-country limits is national origin discrimination, and comparing uh, that to discrimination against African Americans. Um, yeah, no, um, a nice try. Uh, but I, I guess a, a lack of knowledge of how U.S. history works would tell you you probably shouldn't be comparing the situation of people who voluntarily stood in the line uh, that they knew existed to the, the consequences of American slavery. I'm just suggesting it's not the best tactic to take. Um, you know, uh, as I've, as I've thought about 386 and about my position on 386, and as I've received thanks from literally hundreds of immigrants who are not from the origin countries that will be directly benefited by this legislation, as I've put those up on Twitter, um, I, it's, it's quite clear that we have a, the U.S. has a wealth of people that want to come here, that want to contribute. But also, uh, those people understand that if there is all of a sudden an extraordinary decade-long line for them to come, they will simply take their, their treasure and their knowledge elsewhere. And that's something that here, that I think as a country, we can, we can really ill afford uh, going forward. Uh, we, we, we could very well uh, be, be, be facing a dearth of immigration over the course of the next uh, the next decade, uh, and a dearth of people who uh, want to come here, knowing that they will simply be unable to immigrate in the employment-based categories for a very long time, and uh, that is uh, that's something that I think we have to be very cognizant of, um, and is that something that we uh, that we want? Uh, you know, S three eighty six is a bad bill only in the context of is that it does not care for anybody else. It makes no concessions for anybody else. Doesn't help anybody else. Uh, and the authors and pushers of S three eighty six clearly don't care about anybody else. And that's obvious from the Twitter feed that I get uh, and a response on Twitter that uh, what have, you know it's uh, we've been waiting a long time. Yeah, true. And, and other people waited a long time to become current um, and slowed down their immigration to other countries. Uh, but India says, you know what? We just want to use all of them. Uh, I have a lot of Chinese clients who are very upset at this bill who will essentially get no green cards for uh, six years, seven years, until their place in line is reached. And these are people that are almost current uh, on their process. So it's... Um, you know, lots of lots of people get engendered uh, here with uh, with anger, but.
But I will tell you that what uh, what really needs to happen on 386, uh, kind of a, a last statement on this, is 386 needs a hearing, which is what uh, we have always said, uh, that that hearing is essential to, uh, to moving forward um, and to really making sure that we can amend this bill in ways that will uh, uh, enable us to really uh, have a solution to the problem. Uh, the problem of backlog numbers. Nobody should have to wait a decade to get a green card from any country. That's quite clear. Um, and if we have uh, bigger demand from one specific country, we should, one, figure out why, uh, and two, try to accommodate that if it serves our national interest. And I think it does serve our national interest. Every one of the people in line has a job, presumably, in the United States. Uh, if an employer that sponsors them has proven that there's no qualified U.S. workers for that job, so why can't they get a green card? Um, and it's because Congress won't, won't move off numbers that were established more than 30 years ago or 30 years ago in 1990, uh, a country in which our economy has doubled in size since that time. Uh, and uh, certainly increasing the numbers, uh, even if it's simply a temporary increase to accommodate an influx over the next uh, six years of Indian nationals, setting aside the numbers that they would normally get um, from the 7%, increasing their quota so they'll get it over the next uh, five to six years while keeping the rest of the world uh, uh, eligible to get numbers seems to make the most sense since folks are already in the United States. This is not an increase in immigration. Uh, it's simply uh, completing the immigration process for people that have started it. But you see, you can't have that discussion if you don't have a hearing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can't come up with a workable solution for everybody if you don't have a hearing. Now, I had a great conversation this, this last weekend with uh, some dear friends of mine, uh, Cyrus Mehta and uh, Greg Siskin, who have taken an opposite approach on S386. And I, and I respect their position. I certainly understand their position. Um, I and hundreds of other immigration lawyers simply don't agree with that position. Um, uh, you know, being an immigration lawyer uh, means you're an advocate for all of your clients, not just for some of your clients. And advocating for a bill that negatively impacts clients on one side and positively impacts another clients on another is a problem. Um, and I would rather advocate for a bill that helps everybody. Now, what I'm told is, well, we can't pass any other bill. This is the only bill that's going to pass, and we'll fix it later. Well, we, we all know what that means. Anybody that's been practicing immigration law as long as me knows you don't fix anything later. Um, uh, fix 96, anybody? Hey, we're going to fix all those horrible things that Congress did in IRA-IRA. We'll fix it in 97. Yeah. Uh, 23 years later, we ain't fixed nothing, and millions of people's lives have been destroyed as a result. So I don't believe in fixing stuff later. We need to get it right or not do it at all at this point. Uh, and I think that since we have raised the awareness, uh, you have buy-in from people you might not normally have buy-in in. Now, simply, we need to convince them that the real solution here is to keep worldwide numbers the way they are, um, and, although I think they should be increased, but keep them where they are uh, for all countries. Plus, India and China would get a special allotment, and anytime anybody's weight exceeds five years, there's an increase in allotment. So those numbers dissipate over five years, um, much like uh, folks claiming now that, uh, well, the, I, that uh, 386 will only impact people for six to seven years, not a decade, as if that really makes any difference. 
and the numbers are all over the place. Okay, so let's just say India gets a special allotment, China gets a special allotment for three, four, five, or six years over and above the normal numbers. And that way, the rest of the world is not deprived of the ability to immigrate through employment. Uh, and yet we also take care of our clients and friends uh, from India. Uh, and, and unless, of course, the idea is that India will always use or China will always use more numbers uh, and thus overwhelm the system ad infinitum. That's a fear of a lot of people, uh, which is why I think a more sensible approach is the one I suggested. Also, this bill, of course, that we talked about last week is horrible because it has H1, the H-1B provisions in it are wildly detrimental to employers. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, if you're really going to be fair, then we should eliminate all family-based quotas as well. Uh, and that means that only Mexicans will immigrate uh, for the next decade or more through the family-based categories. Um, you know, let's if we're going to be fair, you know, if you did that, you know, I might say, okay, you know, let's go ahead and do it. But you know, oh, we're going to double the double the percentage. They get fifteen percent, not seven percent. Still a hundred-year wait for Mexican brothers and sisters. So I mean, if you're going to if you're going to be fair, you know, we need to be fair on this. So that that's kind of where three eighty-six is right now. And I want to leave it off there. There's uh, uh, an idea that three to six uh, that that ten forty-four might be attached to a budget bill on a conference committee. No word on that. We're, of course, paying attention to that. Um, and, of course, uh, fortifying Senator Durbin to continue to assist on hearings in this issue, such that this bill does not negatively impact all the DACA kids uh, whose lives will be upended, including several of my employees who are in the process of getting green cards for, but who will be shut out uh, if uh, this bill passes. They will simply not be able to get their green cards. Uh, you know, I'd love to hear from you on this. You can reach me on Twitter at CKUCK. You can direct message me. If you've got a story of, you know, if you're, if you're going to be negatively impacted by S386, I'd like to hear from you. As we'll put your story out there and um, let people know uh, what it really means to, uh, that this bill means for people who will be negatively affected by this. Uh, you know, let's take a quick break here before we get into our next topic. We're going to uh, switch gears here and talk about some of the craziness the president's been engaged in over the last couple of weeks. All right, we're back here. I know for you it was no break, but for me it was a quick break. Um, I need to talk about the president's crazy proclamation on Friday night, issued on my birthday on Friday night, um, about, the, about this nonsense. So the presidential proclamation says, presidential proclamation on the suspension of entry of immigrants who will financially burden the United States healthcare system. Hmm. Now, we all are aware... Uh, that new immigrants to America are not entitled to use Medicare or Medicaid uh, for five years after their entry to the United States. Legal immigrants can't, can't benefit from, they can't use Social Security, they can't use any of that stuff. So first, this proclamation starts out with wildly inflated and totally unsupported numbers about the impact on health care providers of immigrants. It says this, uh, the costs associated with uninsured people in the United States uh, exceeded $35 billion in each of the last 10 years. Well, one way to resolve that is to have universal health care. But wait a second, we're not talking about that. But that is not attributable. That's not $35 billion attributable to immigrants. That's that's not the case. That's actually not the case. Um so they, they conflate uninsured reimbursed services with 
immigrants here, because that's with new immigrants, which is not the case. Um, so here's what he says. So basically, they jump from that, and it says this. Notably, data shows that lawful immigrants are about three times more likely than U.S. citizens to lack health insurance. Well, except when they get here, they get health insurance under our current system. Immigrants who enter this country should not further saddle our health care system and sensibly American technically with higher costs. Again, there's no, you can't draw a straight line from the crazy statements above to this. You, there is no straight line. Um, and so there, it says, now therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, he who exceeds all wisdom, godlike in my knowledge of everything, by the authority invested in me by the Constitution, which invests no authority in him on immigration law, and the laws of the United States of America, including sections 212F, 212F, that's the provision of the law that he used to get Muslims banned from the United States, and 215A of the Immigration Nationality Act, hereby find that unrestricted immigrant entry into the United States of person described in section 1, which would be immigrants, would, as accepted as provided in section 2 of this propagation, be detrimental to the interests of the United States, and therefore their entry should be subject to certain restrictions, limitations, and exceptions. That, this is going to be struck down so fast in federal court, their heads are going to freaking spin. So he says this, section 1, suspension and limitation on entry. The entry into the U.S. as immigrants of aliens who will financially burden the United States health care system is hereby suspended and limited, subject to Section 2. An alien will financially burden the U.S. healthcare system unless the alien will be covered by approved health insurance, as defined in Section B of this section, within 30 days of the alien's entry, or the alien possesses the financial resources to pay for reasonably foreseeable medical costs. Understanding, of course, that there's already an affidavit of support for all immigrants coming to the debts through family, and, through, and employment-based immigrants, of course, are generally covered by their employer under the, under the Affordable Care Act. So here's what they mean by approved health care coverage. One, an employer-sponsored plan, including a retiree plan and cover, an association plan coverage provided by the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act. Two, an unsubsidized health plan offered in the individual market within a state. Three, a short-term limited-duration health policy, minimum for effective period of 364 days, or until the beginning of a planned extended travel outside the United States, whatever that means. B, a catastrophic plan. C, next, five, a family member's plan. Six, a medical plan under Chapter 55 of Title 10 of the U.S. Code, including TRICARE program. Three, a visitor's health insurance plan that provides adequate coverage for medical care for 364 days a medical plan under the Medicare program, which, of course, they can't use, any other health plan that provides adequate coverage for medical care is determined by HHS. For purposes for persons over 18, the approved health insurance does not include coverage under the Medicaid program. So just so that you know, there are lots of different insurance coverages out there for new immigrants. I mean, this is not something that's ungettable. Um, people can get this insurance. Uh, you know, obviously, costs vary, but it's not impossible. Um, and so they can get that coverage. Of course, nothing stops somebody from dropping the coverage the moment they get into the United States. Um, uh, but this order is extra statutory. 
Uh, Congress has already determined through the uh, through the Immigration Nationality Act what public charge means, and the USCIS has, through their own regs, which we'll talk about in a second, determined what public charge means. This goes above and beyond that and appears to be a violation of the Administrative Procedures Act. Now, by the way, um, the uh, this application does not apply to anybody holding a valid immigrant visa issued before the effect of it is proclamation. Now, whether that means an immigrant visa, I-140, it's already been approved, I-130 approved, or a stamp and a passport, a little unclear. Uh, an alien coming in under the special immigrant visa, which is the uh, Af- uh, Iraqi Afghani interpreter program. Any alien who's the child of a U.S. citizen or coming as an adopted child of a U.S. citizen. Any foreign national seeking to enter the U.S. pursuant to a, an immediate relative five visa, um, IR five visa, provided the alien sponsor demonstrates uh, that the healthcare system is not a benefit. Uh, SB1 doesn't apply. SB1 is a returning resident visa. Any foreign national under the age of 18, unless accompanied by a parent. Any person uh, who any whose entry would further with further important U.S. law enforcement objectives. A little unclear about that. And any any anybody whose entry would be in the national interest is determined by the Secretary of State. Um, it also does not affect the entry of people entering the U.S. through means other than immigrant visas including lawful permanent residents, which I mean, I guess, just doesn't impact adjustment of status applicants, just immigrant visas and consulates. Further, it says the proclamation shall be construed to affect, and shall, not, shall be construed, nothing shall be construed to affect somebody's eligibility for asylum. Um, it says this proclamation will uh, um, be established by the Secretary of State, um, and you can be removed, um, through fraud, if you circumvent this, whatever that means, although good luck creating law, sorry, Mr. President, you can't create law through a proclamation. Um, and then HHS, Secretary of State's going to create a report on this at some time within 180 days from the effective date. Um, I don't, don't, don't hold your breath for that. For that, uh, they put a severability clause in here, like they're writing a freaking contract. Uh, it goes down, it all goes down, um, and uh, supposed to be effective number third. <clears throat> I would suggest to you uh, that there will be litigation on this issue. Uh, I would guess within ten days. This is not going to be hard to litigate. Uh, this carries with it um, the same basic litigation strategy that was used to initially defeat the Muslim bans was only upheld by the Supreme Court uh, because of the, the the shifting rationale with the third Muslim ban. And you watch, that's going to get struck down soon, too, by the way, because I think the Supreme Court gave that a limited duration uh, waiver there. Um, and I, I look, uh, filings in the D.C. DC circuit, filings in California, I, either by the Attorney Generals of the United States, uh, I think uh, probably by the 20th is my guess. And I guess we're going to have, uh, I think, orders from the court before the end of the month with a stay in place. It's just remarkable. It, it, you know, with, with, with the now what seems to be urgent flow of information, an urgent flow of uh, data that is coming from the... Uh, um, from the White House and uh, USCIS, it suggests to me that there's a certain level of panic, that these guys realize they don't have much more time to destroy our current immigration system from the inside out. Just a limited amount of time left. 
and uh, I, I think they're going to try to to blow out as much craziness as they can over the next uh, 13 months. So, you know, hold on for Mr. Toad's wild ride uh, as the nativist forces that have embedded themselves in the government, including SISA going back to USCIS. Can you imagine getting fired as the boss and then going back as an employee? What kind of groveling does that really involve? Uh, you know, it's, honestly, it's pathetic. Get a real job. Get a real job somewhere. I'm surprised Grassley didn't take him back. Um, let's take a quick break here on the Immigration Hour. We'll be back in just a second with our final segment on, uh, on the, the new crazy stuff for public charge rules. Welcome back to the uh, Immigration Hour. Again, a break for me, not a break for you. Um, the, uh, as everybody knows, the new public charge rules are going to go into effect on October 15th. And until this, till yesterday, or even, even right now, not all of the forms... Uh, not all of the updated forms are online that have to be filed um, after the 15th uh, with the Immigration Service. And uh, this is uh, actual craziness about what's going on. Um, the, um, the forms uh, supposedly are, uh, are up um, with the Immigration Service. We're now looking at the Adjustment of Status form um, you know, I'm 18 page long. You know, when I started practicing immigration, it's only four pages long. The 18 page long adjustment of status form uh, with lots of questions on here, um, kind of going through the, the most updated version on the website and um, not seeing the updated form, which is weird because... Uh, Mr. Cuccinelli, the purported head of USCIS, a little unclear whether he is or not. Uh, I, I didn't know he actually worked there. I thought he worked at ICE. Supposedly ta- taunted Ayla for filing a lawsuit against them to get a stay of the effective dates of these forms because we've had no time to even look at them in their final format. Uh, and he's whining, hey, we, you know, we, we said we'd get them up, and we did, and you sued us. And they hadn't gotten them up. Um, it's uh, really kind of crazy. I'm sitting here looking at the form, kind of scrolling through it uh, on the website on Tuesday morning, and uh, I got nothing. I got nothing on public charge questions um, in here. Um, yeah, got nothing in here about public charge. So uh, once again, um, more lies from the head of USCIS. Uh, nobody is, of course, surprised by that. Um, and uh, Mr. Cuccinelli, um, really, you suck at your job, man. <laughs> you do. Um, the updated edition of this form will be linked to this page, but it's not currently linked to this page. Isn't that really interesting? Um, yep. Not currently linked to this page. That is really interesting. So keep keep reclicking, people. Now keep in mind uh, because we've sued. Ayla has sued uh, Brent Renison and uh, um, uh, Ayla member along with our new on staff uh, immigration attorney, uh, litigation attorney. Um, sued on Monday. Uh, we asked for a temporary injunction. I imagine that hearing will be held in the next couple of days, and uh, at that point, we'll uh, probably I think we're going to win. We got a judge who I think is fair. 
uh, as part of this, and I think she will uh, uh, help us to, uh, to uh, really understand what's what's going on here um, and stop them from implementing it. Now, there's also we're waiting on a preliminary, also waiting on a preliminary injunction on the public charge rule itself. Now, currently, by the way, you have to have the uh, current 485s and all the other forms postmarked by uh, by the 15th. Obviously, you, you know, obviously, you can't send them Federal Express. You got to get them postmarked. Uh, Monday's a holiday. Um, Saturday and Sunday are weekends. So basically, you need to get this out, you know, by Friday uh, to get that postmark on there. Since you're not getting a postmark on Monday, uh, as part of this. So the final rule on this. Um, uh, is, I think, deserving of uh, a, a particular attention uh, of, uh, a, of the, how the rule works and also understanding that last week the DHS issued a 25-page correction to the final rule from two months ago. Um, and in this, in this correction, there were what they pointed out were dozens of errors, typos, um, footnotes, uh, Changing um, words from may to will um, in, in, in regards to public charge, uh, sub, real substantive changes as, a, a, in addition to uh, typographical changes. Um, things like omitting words and not, ca not cash benefit when describing public benefits under the rule. Um, having wrong tables. I mean, the, the, it is really... It shows you the level of competency currently people working at USCIS. Uh, it's embarrassing uh, that uh, that they're there. But let's take uh, let's take a look at what is this ground. You know, uh, who is subject to the public charge ground of inadmissibility? So this would be individuals seeking immigrant or non-immigrant visas abroad people seeking admission to the U.S. on immigrant or non-immigrant visas, and people seeking to adjust their status. It does not apply to people seeking naturalization. So if you are a permanent resident, these rules do not apply to you. Please understand, if you are a permanent resident, you don't have to worry about this. You get any public benefit you're entitled to, period, end of story. Who is exempt from this rule? Well, refugees, asylees, Afghani and Iraqi interpreters are exempt. So if you've been granted asylum, you've been granted refugee status, these rules do not apply to you. Understand that. Next, which benefits, okay, what is a public benefit that is prohibited under this rule? So any federal, state, local, or tribal cash assistance for income maintenance... Supplemental Social Security Income, uh, TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needed Families, Federal, State, or Local Cash Benefits, also called General Assistance under the rules. By the way, folks generally aren't eligible for any of those things unless they've been here in, the, in a resident for five years. SNAP, or formerly called Food Stamps, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, this is if you use those benefits. Section 8 housing, uh, Section 8 uh, rental assistance, public housing, or federally funded Medicaid with certain exclusions. Now, the rule says that USCIS will not consider the receipt 
of designated public benefits received by a foreign national who at the time of the receipt or time of filing the application um, uh, is enlisted in the armed forces. So if your armed forces does not apply to you, okay, it also does not apply to public benefits received by children who require U.S. citizenship. They will also not consider Medicaid for emergency medical care. So you're okay. Services or benefits provided by, funded by Medicaid, but given under the Individual Disabilities Act. Not worried about that. School-based services or benefits. So this would be like school lunches. Medicaid benefits received by a foreign national under the age of 21. Or Medicaid benefits received by a woman during pregnancy or during the 60-day period beginning at the last day of pregnancy. So keep in mind, while there is a certain effect to this, it only affects public benefits received directly by the applicant or the foreign national for the foreign national's own benefit, or will the applicant is listed as a beneficiary of the public benefit. USCIS will not consider public benefits received on behalf of another as a legal guardian or pursuant to a power of attorney for such person. The DHS does not attribute the receipt of a public benefit by one or members of the person's household to the applicant unless the applicant is also listed as a beneficiary of the public benefit. So this means you have to pay attention to those benefits uh, and, what, and how the forms are filled out. But generally, fat, generally speaking, it's not going to be that big a deal for most people when they apply for that green card because the benefits are for the children. This is why you're going to need an immigration lawyer who understands these rules to really understand it. So the immigration lawyers that are listening, you need to go read this rule and the stupid addendum so you understand what really is important here. Now, also, you have to understand that the use of the rule, use of these benefits over 12 over the 36 months prior application will exclude you. But they can also, they're also using this kind of weighing charge. Um, you know, they're going to they're gonna use the language of the act, which is age, health, family status, assets, education, prospective immigration status, expected period of admission, and if you've got a sufficient I-864. All of those are important. And that's why, as lawyers, we're going to need to really effectively explain in an adjustment of status application, particularly in family cases, why all those factors should be considered positively in the context of our client's application. So again, it's not just filling out forms anymore. It's really about um, um, uh, understanding uh, how public charge comes into effect in our client's application process. And, and if, you're, if you're a potential client, then that's how we need to really focus on this moving forward. So, so this week we've talked about S-386. We've talked about the, uh, the uh, uh, presidential proclamation on insurance. We've talked about public charge. There's 80 other things we could talk about, but our time is short today. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Immigration Hour before I head out of town back to my alma mater for homecoming week. Um, until next week, this is your host, Charles Cook of Cook Baxter Immigration. If you have any comments or questions, send them by Twitter at C-K-U-C-K. We'd love to hear from you there. And give me a follow there so we can uh, get our numbers up and get the word out about this, uh, this great podcast. Until next week, talk to you later. Bye-bye.